Tell us about the nature of the Guru who has the power to remove all impurities. Tell us about that Guru. By merely hearing about whom man is released from all sorrows, by following whose path the sages have attained omniscience. Please narrate that supreme truth, attaining which man may be redeemed from the cycle of birth and death. We want to hear all of these things, especially the essence of the Guru Gita, which is the secret of secrets. After having been repeatedly petitioned by the sage's sweet words, which were full of enthusiasm, Sutta spoke. O sages, listen with rapt attention to this Gita, destroyer of the transmigratory existence, which is like a mother unto you all. Once, while Shiva sat upon a tiger skin, attended to by the celestial musicians, he was expounding the supreme truth to a group of sages. His wife Parvati, who was also present, was surprised to see Shiva bowing reverently to someone else. Hello and good morning. I'm Douglas Bowles, and Super Normal July continues today on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. Will is away on sync assignment this morning in Alabama. Hopefully he'll bring us back the Watchman scoop that we've all been waiting for. And if you want to unpack that sync a little, check out SyncBook Plus member hangout number six, which should hit our member section sometime this week. As always, you can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. Really, if you want to send us a note and tell us a story, let us know how we're doing or suggest future programming, drop us a line. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is the 21st day of July 2015 and this is our 194th broadcast. By way of housekeeping, our big news is the debut of the newest member of the SyncBook Radio family, Fine Just Fine by Wally Shaherald. It premieres tomorrow, so you'll find it in your iTunes feed if you subscribe, which you should. Just search SyncBook Radio on iTunes and hit subscribe, or you can get it at thesyncbook.com too, of course. And on that note, we are also pleased to announce that Synchronize will again return to the airwaves soon. Look for it this summer in a couple of weeks on August 8th. Also, make note of March 23rd through the 27th, 2016, because this is when the Tree Fort Sync Summit happens and will strange attract a lot of density. We'll have more details for you soon. Stay up to date. You are not going to want to miss this incredible event. But to return to Supernormal July, we're excited this month to explore the extraordinary, wondering how yoga, meditation, and spiritual practice contributes to the supernormal. One path worth considering is the guru-disciple relationship. Sanatana Dharma, aka Hinduism, is founded upon this relationship. And the Guru Gita is the most comprehensive work on the subject. While there are many versions of the Guru Gita, the work we will consider today, the authoritative Guru Gita, contains an original translation of the complete version which consists of 352 couplets. Additionally, this book, the authoritative Guru Gita, includes a commentary by today's guest, Swami Anantananda Giri. It is notable for a few different reasons. First, it provides insight into the philosophies and traditions that the author or authors of the Guru Gita draw from. The commentary is also practical in nature and is intended to serve as an aid in the practice of yoga associated with the Guru path. 
Incidentally, the authoritative Guru Gita also includes the full Gita in its original Sanskrit in order to facilitate chanting, which is one of its purposes. Swami Anantananda Giri represents the Western Church Sanatana Dharma and its founder, his guru. All right. <laughs> Can you help me pronounce these words that I'm butchering? What is your guru's name and how do you pronounce the church that he founded? It's the Western Church of Sanatana Dharma. Sanatana Dharma. And, uh, and uh, the abbreviated version of his name is Maha Mandalishwar Swarupananda. Everything else is kind of implied in, in all of that. He has, he has a pretty long title that, that he's been given. It's helpful. It is. If you want to hear it, I can go. But <laughs> it's uh, the, full, the full title. His full title is His Holiness Maha Mandalishwar Paramahamsa Rupananda Vishwaguru Maharaj. More information about this and his guru and Swami Anantananda Giri can be found at www.swamiananta.com. We first met Swami Giri back in May of 2014 on 42 Minutes 135 discussing his first sync book press title, The Yogic Gospel of Thomas. And you can also hear him on Always Record number 71 and 73. It's always a pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Doug. Thanks for asking, and thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's 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 fun to talk to you. And you know, I don't think we've spoken to you since the Sync Summit. You went to that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I met. Uh, I got to meet Will there and a lot of other great people. It was uh, it was pretty neat. Well, that was almost a year ago. What kind of memories do you still have of that event? I remember that. Um, Everybody, I remember all all the all the everybody that was presenting was presenting something that was really cool. I remember that uh, I remember personally being left with the impression that Marty Leeds and Scott Onstott killed it in particular. Um, and uh, I gave a I gave a little presentation myself, um, and that was that was kind of cool. Um, the if I had it to do over again, I would spend less time talking and more time just meditating with people because uh, I enjoyed that part in terms of my presentation in particular, and uh, we just didn't spend very much time doing it. And so, well, that's great. It was cool though. I got to give uh, I I got to give the Shakti pot of uh, my guru's tradition. Uh, I got to be the vehicle that the that the Guru Shakti or the Guru's grace travels through, and I got to I got to transmit that to a pretty sizable group of people. It was like I want to say like thirty people or so, and uh, I don't really know. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of I didn't get a whole lot of feedback. I didn't really touch bases with uh, have a chance to touch bases with a lot of the, uh, the people. That participated in that, or or they just didn't volunteer it for what for whatever reason. So um, it's always interesting to know because you only see you only see it from uh, from one angle when that's happening. All I know is that afterwards I was I was totally sapped and I had to I had to just like lay down and sleep for for a while and recharge my batteries and then. And I woke up and I ate a bunch of food and 
it was like, wow, something happened, but I have no idea what <laughs> really. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my, those are probably the most standout memories I have from the summit. So this is kind of, it, it, it was a blessing you did? Yeah, you could call it that. Uh, you called it a shakti pot. What, you know, explain it just a little bit more for our listeners that don't know what this is. Um, well, you could, they say that, they say that enlightenment occurs as, uh, the result of a descent of grace and, um, uh, grace is, grace is Shiva's power of reveal, of revealing, to reveal himself to himself because, uh, a, everything, uh, uh, we're talking a tantric outlook here and we're using a spe- I'm using a really specific set of terminology. It's specific to a particular philosophy, but you can say that, uh, everything is Shiva. Um, the world is Shiva experiencing Shiva, or you could substitute that word for consciousness or uh, any, any number of other things. And, uh, Shiva has, Shiva has five powers, the power, uh, to create, uh, to sustain, to dissolve the creation, and then uh, the power of concealment and the power of grace. The power of concealment is what makes uh, the first three powers possible. He conceals his true nature from himself because he has to Im- impose some. You have to impose some sort of limitation on the infinite in order to have any kind of manifestation. So he does that and manifests infinitely. And then within that infinite creation, it's the power of grace that causes the individual to reawaken to their own nature as Shiva. And so in the guru disciple tradition, uh, the guru is the vehicle of Shiva's grace because the guru, the guru is somebody who has awakened to this reality themselves. And in the process of that happening, they're, somehow imbued with the power to utilize uh, to to utilize that grace or to direct it consciously and sometimes it doesn't all it can be directed consciously but it kind of happens spontaneously sometimes also um, and I as far as transmitting it I can only speak from my own experience which is is somewhat limited um, and it's happened it so it's happened spontaneously and uh, volitionally with my with my because in in being in being consecrated as Swami, my guru has kind of designated me as uh, as kind of a vehicle that he can channel that through to people who wouldn't necessarily uh, get it otherwise, or who wouldn't be able to, who wouldn't be able to come into physical contact with him, and. Um, one of the things that I've noticed in doing that is that it comes in varying strengths, just kind of depending on uh, the the circumstances, you know, like set and setting, um, and who who's there and kind of uh, where they're at, and just kind of what what needs to, what needs to happen just kind of happens. I don't really have 
any say in it or necessarily know what's going to happen if anything like i've like sometimes i i just sit and meditate with people and then there's this i can i can feel the outpouring of energy and one time in particular it was really really intense and um and it was just a few seconds i was just meditating with a friend he had said i had asked if uh if he wanted to meditate so we did and it almost knocked me on my ass literally i had to like fight to continue to sit up and then uh and then it was interrupted only like 10 seconds later by uh by a phone call and uh but then afterwards we talked about it and uh, he was like holy shit that was crazy because like we didn't really expect anything weird to happen but it was but it went it turns out it was going both ways and it was like a really profound experience so then what you're what you're describing is almost like you share a taste of enlightenment with the people around you and you did that for 30 people at the sync summit then kind of but um you could you could say that it's like there's there's an energetic transfer and but what what happens what happens from one person to the next is really subjective and honestly i have no idea um how that uh, what was going on from everybody else's perspective. Um, one person uh, shared with me that uh, because I went around and did, uh, I, I put my, I went around and put my thumb on, on the area corresponding to everybody's third eye chakra, everybody who was, who was interested in participating and uh, said a little blessing internally. And that was, that was kind of my way of consciously indicating the blessing was taking place. And one person mentioned that uh, she felt kind of like an energetic thing going on there. Like she felt like my thumb had stayed there after I had already moved on and was, was blessing other people. And then, and that she just felt kind of, uh, it's hard to remember exactly what she said now, but, just that there was kind of an energetic thing going on, and I think she said it felt good or something like that. Well, so the reason why Will and I called this Supernormal July is because we kind of kicked the month off with this this book called Supernormal by Dean Radin, and his thesis is that Jesus, Mohammed, and Buddha, these guys, they weren't just nice guys, and that's why they're remembered, that they did, they were able to trans mute or uh, communicate inner energy energetic qualities through their being that is above what we think of as as normal and so what's great about your book is how it kind of unpacks the notion of the guru disciple thing to me it's like by having the gospel of thomas come out first which is about jesus being a guru sure what you're saying is i've always kind of had a problem with the idea of a guru you know what makes this guy so special but at the same time if they're able to move energies beyond what's normal then naturally you know if there's a tradition to spell that out and how to be in that in that practice, this is great. So tell us about how your book came to be. 
and and what it's about? Uh, well, the Guru Gita itself, um, I didn't write the Guru Gita. The Guru Gita is uh, a scripture that is kind of it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what it is or where it came from, and that's kind of that's something that that gets addressed in the book. That's kind of one of the one of the um, driving forces between, uh, sorry, behind why there is a book because the thing, it's just, it's kind of, it's, oh, what do I want to say about it? Um, what is the Guru Gita? The Guru Gita is basically, um, it turns out, a very tantric thesis on what the Guru-Disciple relationship is. Um, where it came from is interesting as one point worth considering uh, because it says it comes from the Skanda Purana. There are about 18 Maha Puranas in the Hindu tradition or great Puranas and they basically, the point of them is essentially to uh, convey the teachings of the Vedas in a format that was kind of popular and easily accessible. Um, where does the bo- the 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 uh, oh now I can't even say it the uh, Bhagavad Gita yeah where does it fit into the scheme of things the Bhagavad Gita is uh, basically the uh, the essence like uh, all of all of the lessons that were more subtly being conveyed in the in the Mahabharata. Which is a which is a great Indian epic. It's uh, kind of like the Greeks have their epics, except the Mahabharata is bigger than any of the Greek epics, also. And the, sometimes it's called the Fifth Veda, but it's more um, it fits more into the genre of Puranic literature. It's probably probably written around the same time that that the Puranas were being written. But it's kind of in a category all all on its own. So we have, uh, in Hinduism, there are a lot of, there are a lot of scriptures that are part of the broader body of Hinduism. And and it's impossible to have read them all. So usually a a particular tradition kind of has, uh, it'll have, something that it focuses on intensely and then there'll be some background literature too. Um, but you have the, the, the four Vedas that are pretty much universally recognized by all Hindus. And then the two epics, the Mahabharata and the, and the, um, Ramayana. And then you have the, the 18 Mahapuranas and with, and then you, there are tons and tons of other Puranas that there's it's just this whole big body of literature, but the eighteen great Puranas or Maha Puranas, people are at least somewhat familiar with them. Although you could it would be it would be really impossible to be like a specialist in all of the Puranas even because they're just there's it's just such a vast body of, of work. Um, so the um you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita. So the Bhagavad Gita is like the condensed essence of the epic Mahabharata. The Guru Gita is supposed to be like the condensed essence of the uh, of the Skanda Purana, but it turns out it's not in the Skanda Purana, or at least I 
I bought two translations of the Skanda Purana, and uh, and when I decided, when I started thinking about um, commenting on the Guru Gita for research and to have a translation to comment on that wasn't uh, that wasn't under copyright, I purchased a Sanskrit version of the Skanda Purana, which is is the actually the longest of all the of all the Puranas. It's it's a really really long one. I purchased a Sanskrit a Sanskrit version, so I guess it was untranslated, and I purchased an English translation, and it wasn't it wasn't in there. So that got me thinking, and I found out afterwards, after having invested like hundreds of dollars in the thing, that that other people had already asked that question, and the conclusion was that it basically probably wasn't even in the Skanda Purana in the first place and if it was nobody knows if uh, nobody knows of a version of it um, that still exists so that created two uh, two obstacles to tackle we needed a we needed an original translation and uh, we needed to figure out where the hell the thing came from because because you read the thing and, and you're like oh it came from the Skanda Purana okay but Anybody who does a little bit a little bit of digging is going to find that that's that doesn't seem to be the case, and uh, so that's that's something that's tackled in the in the commentary or in the in the introduction that I wrote to the commentary, and uh, it turns out that my guru has a, a disciple who I ended up uh, becoming friends with, and she's a, a good Sanskritist, and so she she did the translation for us and the commentary just kind of grew out of that. I, uh, first I helped her, um, in kind of an edit in, in an editorial capacity, uh, with the translation. And then I kind of started working on a commentary is that was, is that was kind of getting polished. And that was, that was about, uh, I started working on that about the time of our last, uh, the last time I appeared on your show. So it was about, a year, a year and a half ago. So it's it's been a while. It's been a pretty heavy duty, heavy duty undertaking. So it's it's really cool to have it out here and to be doing the show and uh, and talking about it. Well, the continuity between your first, the Gospel of Thomas, and this book, there it makes sense. Did that was that something logically? arrived at or did it just organically arise it makes so much sense in hindsight to say oh yeah naturally you would do a book like this after after the gospel of thomas commentary i didn't really plan it that way but it did but it did seem like kind of a logical extension like one of the probably probably the main thesis of the gospel of thomas was just that you know jesus was Jesus was a guru, you know, he was just a normal person who who awakened to this to this reality that's always the case, but it changes everything. I mean, at least in terms of how you relate to the world. And uh he was able to share this with people and so he did. And he was just in kind of a place where he seemed remarkable to people and so he got kind of you know, kind of mythos grew around that, but really it's just about awakening to your own full potential as a, as a human being. It's, it's all of our birthright. It's just that 
it takes a little bit of polishing to get to the point, and a person like Jesus wouldn't have gotten to that point, probably without having a guru himself. When there's a, at least from what I can tell, whenever there's an exception to that rule, it's uh, it, it does happen, but it seems rare, and kind of the, at least in Hindu philosophy, the the common the the belief that's predominantly held within people belonging to that you know who belonging to that philosophy who think a certain way the the belief is that even those people who enlightened spontaneously in a particular lifetime did that only as a result of having had a guru in a past life. Um, hmm. Personally, I, I believe in past lives. I don't really think that it's necessarily like a person. I, it's just, it's kind of what it's, it's what makes sense to me, but honestly, I don't, I don't know. Um, I had like a past life regression one time and it was kind of, I still don't know if it's real. I like, like I experienced living a different life and I was still me, but I was somebody else and, uh, it was weird. And I, you know, I can't say that it was real or not real. I don't know, but my inclination is to kind of think of things in that way. And that's kind of what people traditionally, how people have traditionally thought about that subject, at least in terms of Hindu thought also. Well, so when we were talking to Dean Radin a couple of weeks ago, we asked him, you know, so if his thesis that people can, so it's, it's so interesting because he's coming at it from a scientific background and, point you know and so you're coming you're looking at jesus from a different tradition saying oh yes this is definitely possible but likely he had a guru we asked dean radin about his own practice and you know he said and this is in the member section the after the beyond 42 minutes that shows up after the initial 42 minutes that you know he does have a meditative practice and he thinks that that's really important for cultivating the type of supernormal powers that we're talking about could you speak to your own spiritual practice a little bit what does that look like on a daily weekly monthly basis um it's always kind of it always it's always kind of morphing to fit the constraints of life because it's really practical consideration you know it's something is something that, you know, life continues to happen, so it has to be something that works with that. But it is always something that I make time for. I always at least, I always at least meditate. And how how long do you meditate when you meditate? The more the better, but but that that kind of changes depending on the circumstances. Also, uh, the last time I spoke to you, I was in Arizona trying to build an ashram. And uh, that didn't pan out, and I'm not there anymore. But when I was there, um, I was meditating like two hours a day. I'd meditate an hour in the morning and an hour at night before I went to bed. And then, I, and between that, I'd spend all day building stuff. And then I ran out of stuff to build and money to buy whatever I needed to go on to the next thing. And then I just spent like a month, a month and a half, meditating just only meditating and reading scripture because i didn't have anything else to do anyway so so why the hell not uh and i was meditating like three or four hours a day and uh 
that gets really crazy. It kind of starts to mess with your mind in a way. You're like, you get really, really peaceful, but then you're like, do I want all this peace? <laughs> that was that was my experience anyway. I think maybe I'm holding on to a little bit of a little bit of stuff, but that's the meditation is good for meditation is good for pointing out stuff that you're holding on to. The more of it you do, the better. In in that sense, and really, really a lot of ways. Do you meditate differently? Or is it pretty much the same? So I'm wondering whether or not, you know, the modality of it, whether it's a, like an emptying thing or a focusing thing or a mantra. Yeah, I, I use a mantra. I always do a seated meditation um, with my eyes closed, basically with as few distractions as possible, even though sometimes there's a lot of distractions. It's not possible to get away from them. But... uh but yeah, it's a seated meditation and my centering technique is a mantra and that's that's what I recommend to people who come to me and ask how to meditate, how to do practice geared toward realizing uh, self-realization. Um, so your centering technique is your point of focus and the ideal is to focus one pointedly on that and have nothing else going on in your mind. Um, in practice, that pretty much never happens unless like you're some kind of spiritual superhero uh, and you've really, you've really just shown up already having mastered your mind. Um, people, people show up with different ability levels, but it's an exercise. So you're, you should expect to have stuff arise like unnecessary crap. Like the mind will just throw unnecessary crap at you. And that's pretty much a given the point of the meditation is to develop the ability to use to use your mind to redirect itself from that unnecessary mental chatter back to the centering technique and every time every time that you every time you flex that muscle every time you drop something and you don't have to do it judgmentally you just say okay right now my job is to focus on the centering technique. So dropping this, going back to the centering te- te- uh, centering technique. Dropping this, going back to the centering technique. You're, there's no there's no meditating poorly and meditating well. It's just engaging in an exercise that develops a mental facility, a mental faculty that is usually overlooked. So that so that's my that's my primary meditation practice. Um, and it's not like your progress isn't going to be a linear thing either. Like you, you'll, if you, if you do something like this for a long period of time, you'll have, you'll have instances where you, where you do get one pointed on the mantra and everything else falls away. And then the mantra itself falls away and you go into what's called a samadhi state where you go beyond the mind. And it can, that can be really cool. There's all kinds of cool stuff like, feel good type sensations and stuff and uh, peace that washes over you. Or sometimes there's just nothing. There's different kinds of samadhis and you hit all these milestones. And then sometimes you'll hit, you'll go through a period where you hit a lot of those. You're feeling really good about your practice. And then there'll be other times where there's just all kinds of mental stuff. And it's just, it's just always an ongoing thing. Well, so one of the other components of your authoritative guru Gita is this idea of, chanting the couplets would you mind is this something that you do would you mind chanting a passage for us or is that putting you on the spot 
Um, I can give it a shot. I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I sound particularly good <laughs> as a chanter. Um, let me find something familiar because the Guru Gita that I'm used to reading, um, it was already part of our practice. Um, not necessarily chanting it, but at least reading it in, in my Guru's Sampradayam. But we had one that had been handed down by his Guru that was an abbreviated version of it. It was about half as long, maybe one third the length of this one. So there's a lot of stuff that's not, I, and I did chant that uh, regularly. But there's a lot of stuff in here that's not very familiar to me. So let me try to find something that is familiar. I, I have the book here, so. Okay. Oh, uh, okay, here we go. Naguro Radikam, Naguro Radikam, Naguro Radikam, Naguro Radikam, Shiva Shashanata, Shiva Shashanata, Shiva Shashanata, Shiva Shashanata, Idameva Shivam, Idameva Shivam. Idameva Shivam, Idameva Shivam, Harishashanato, 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 Harishashanataha, Viditam, 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 Vijinam, 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 Vidiha Shanato, Vidiha Sanato, Vidiha Sanato, Vidiha Sanataha. I I messed up a little there, but that's that's roughly it. I said like one continent sound wrong. Um Evam vidam gurum dhyatva jnanam utpadyate svayam tada guru prasadena mukto hamiti bhavayeta. So um, that was uh, the translation of all that is, where am I? There's nothing greater than the guru. Let's repeat all, all of these. You heard me repeating myself a lot. These are repeated for emphasis. But uh, basically what I was saying is there's nothing greater than the guru. Uh, this is the command of Shiva. This indeed is Shiva. Indeed, this too is Shiva. This is the command of Vishnu. Is there a way to explain that in a thumbnail sketch as far as the relationship between Shiva, Vishnu, and what Brahman is? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the Hindu trinity or triumvirate, whatever you want to call it, is uh, is is Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva, and Brahma is the creator of the universe, Vishnu is the sustainer, and Shiva is the destroyer, and that's a, that's a cyclical process, and those are the deities attributed to, to carrying out that cycle. I mean, it's something that's, if you take a look at anything in the natural world, you can see happening constantly. Um, Destruction, the dis destruction attributed to Shiva isn't this isn't really a negative thing. It's just a part of life. It's that cycle has to happen because life is based on that at every level. Um, and Brahman is uh, Brahman is the entire it, the reality that encapsulates all of those finite ideas, all of those happenings, even even the deities are are energy there you could think of them as energies that have a specialized function uh in the creation. So when, even when you're when you're talking about even Shiva, in that context, Shiva is is an energy or a power of of the absolute, of the infinite, uh the the all encompassing Brahman or but it, it 
the terminology depends on what tradition you're speaking of. So you might call you might call the absolute Shiva also, even though uh, even though the function of dissolution is attributed to a particular he called Shiva. And you can clarify that a person could clarify that um, confusion by referring to that all-encompassing Shiva is Parama Shiva or Parashiva, which means both of those just mean Supreme Shiva. Um, but then you could also generic, generically just call that Shiva. Okay. If, uh, so I, I might have might have made that a little more complicated. No, I think I think I mean it's less thinking about these things as separate, distinct things, but they definitely all kind of bleed into one another. One another. I mean, they have different functions, but at the same time. It's it's the the Christian Trinity where it's logically difficult to parse, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, the mind isn't really capable of getting it. I don't think. Like even when you even when you see it, even when you see the whole thing firsthand, then it's even harder to grapple with it mentally because then. Because then you don't have the luxury of thinking you know what the hell is going on. <laughs> um, but it's uh, these are just ways of talking about a way of being that people who have experienced it have decided is is worthwhile as a general rule. Um, and I mean, they can. The idea is kind of to prod a person in the right direction. But like you were like you were saying, the actual the actual practice is it's imperative because the experience is the important part, and the practice is how you kind of polish the psyche in a way that it becomes the mind becomes something that's conducive to this instead of uh, instead of something that that keeps that experience from happening. Okay, well, your authoritative Guru Gita became available on both CreateSpace and Amazon on the 16th of July, so you've got quite a collection of books now. I'm wondering, are you working on anything else? Is something arising? Or are you just enjoying your summer? I I am doing some writing. I actually kind of uh, jumped right back into something, and... I didn't really plan to do that, but I just, I guess I just felt like it was a good idea to keep writing and to start to, to keep going forward. And so I'm kind of, I'm exploring the, I'm exploring some ideas right now. Um, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know if there's a whole book there. It might just be something that ends, that I, that ends up in an anthology somewhere. Um, I have I have enough that it would be like I think a good entry for an anthology. I might I may or may not turn it into a whole book, but what it is is it's basically an expo an exploration into the theme of uh of psychedelics, hmm. uh of entheogen entheogens, plant teachers, uh but in a in 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 a context of of yogic philosophy. And I also kind of the first thing the first thing that I did was kind of explore the way that the way that started was just kind of as an exercise exploring the idea of 
plants as teachers. So, so in a way, in a way, they're it's they're they're plants that are acting as gurus. You know, it's it's another it's another physical form that is. Um, it's not to say that I don't think that a human guru is is worthwhile, um, because I obviously don't think that's the case. Because I I have one of those. I obviously wouldn't if I didn't think that was worthwhile. Um, but I had an I had a really really powerful enlightenment enlightenment experience on mushrooms. Uh, you know they they were kind of they were part of the catalyst that made that happen. So it's, it's something that I think about and it's something that I think gets, uh, gets ridiculed a lot. Like there's a lot of, there's a certain, there's a certain bias by some, not all people, but some people, um, saying that along the lines of, Oh, it's chemical, it's chemical induced. It's just chemicals doing stuff to your brain. That's not enlightenment or it's just temporary. That's not enlightenment. And, uh, it's something that I've, it's really never left my mind or my heart since that experience and something that I've kind of grappled with. And I basically, I I basically know where I stand at this point. Um, in part because I, in part because I've done a lot of, because I've done a lot of research and I, and, and another thing about that is I remember you asked me whether I was whether I thought it was a good idea for people to experiment with psychedelics on the last show. And, uh, I wasn't really ready for that question at the time. Um, in retrospect, I think that, um, I also kind of wasn't really sure what kind of a stance I wanted to take on that position, but I think that, uh, well, Terrence, Terrence McKenna said it well. And I, I quote him in the piece that I've, that I've in the little bit that I've written so far, like right off the bat, I, quoted him saying, uh, if, uh, if life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness don't mean the, the ability to experiment with one's own consciousness, then the, uh, the declaration of independence isn't worth the hemp that it was written on. (laughs) But that was definitely 42 minutes. And so thank you for sharing it with us. All right. Thanks, Doug. It was good to be here. You've uh, you've been listening to Swami Antanandagiri on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about the work of Swami can be found at www.swamiananta.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And I am blinded by the darkness of ignorance and deluded due to the pleasure of the senses. Bless me, O Lord, by giving me the light of knowledge.